Welcome to Hope from the Frontlines. Each week, we peek beyond the headlines, finding stories of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color doing the heavy lift, protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. Working in this field, you have to have eyes open. Not much attention has been given to the impact of COVID-19 in group homes for adults with developmental disabilities. The close quarters and intense level of care required to tend to those who can't live on their own makes caregiving a challenge, even without a pandemic. In this episode, one home caregiver uses her investigative instincts to keep residents in a group home in the southwest suburbs of Chicago healthy, safe, and alive. And I just noticed the guys were high in energy at one while, and then everybody was going to their rooms and was sleeping a lot. And I was like, okay, something is not right with this. I'm Arielle Mejia with Detective Caretaking. Tanya is a caretaker at Baker House, a group home for adults with developmental disabilities located in the south suburbs of Chicago. She takes care of six people. She wanted to do work that felt like she was making an impact. I want to do something that's meaningful, something that's helpful, something that I could do that could help somebody else. So she left her job in manufacturing and got into the medical field. During her certified nursing assistant internship, she saw a job opening as a direct support professional, a DSP. Uh, The DSP job came about, and it was like everything that I had prayed for. I wanted to shop. I wanted to help individuals. I just wanted to make a difference in somebody else's life. I wasn't even uh, thinking about the pay or the money. It was just something that I could wake up and say, you know, I want to go to work this this morning instead of getting up like, should I call off? Should I go to work? Because that's how I felt when I was in manufacturing. Tanya has been working as a DSP for seven years. She says that she's seen many people come and go and that the burnout rate is pretty high for this type of work. This job is not for everybody. But it does seem right for Tanya. As she talked, I was blown away by how her curiosity and keen observations made such a difference in her caretaking. I've always been that person that would sit back and observe. I was a little kid that would ask my mother, why, why, why? (laughs) And uh, if she told me why, I would say, okay, and I would come up with my own agenda. She told me multiple stories of reading medical histories, seeing how things didn't necessarily add up, and then digging deeper. But something is hands-on. And so I had to figure out why. Like, okay, there has to be a connection here. I discovered the reason why. She only wanted particular staff to really get to know him. And we discovered, I just kind of like talked to her like she was my daughter. But something is hands-on. It's hands-on. On top of that, though, she is always paying attention, mostly to their behaviors and moods. She understands that caring for her residents means so much more than just reading about them. Because what you're going to find out is that paperwork is not always accurate. She told me the story about one particular resident. When I read his book, I found out that that he used to talk. He did have autism, but he, he did talk at one point in his life. What happened was he he was in a fire with his mother, and his mother uh, died in the fire, and they opened up the closet and found him inside of the closet. 
And um, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but uh, I was working with a younger girl in the house, and she's like, it's going to just come to you. Just use your mom. So this is your mom's gift. Tanya noticed that when he got home, he wasn't wearing a belt. And when she asked him where his belt was, he became extremely frightened, running to his drawer to hide his belts. Tanya immediately could identify a negative association. I said, you don't have to worry about anybody beating you, anybody mistreating you, anybody abusing you. I said, this is your safe haven. And he looked up at me with those big, golden, brown eyes, and he smiled. And after that, they became super close. You know, he would follow me through the house. (laughs) I found out that he could read, that he could write. Um, When I would cook, he wanted to be in the kitchen with me. The residents would call him her son because the level of trust Tanya built with him was so evident to everyone in the house. Tanya has since been switched to a new house and heard that this resident, who had been nicknamed her son, died. That was my buddy. That was the one that passed. They think he passed of uh, COVID. From what they had assumed was COVID-19. Though Tanya says she made peace with his death, it is still painful today to know that he is not here. When COVID first came out, I'm going to tell you, I was fearful. According to a report by the Chicago Tribune and ProPublica, COVID-19 can travel fast through homes for people with developmental disabilities. Depending on their level of function, some people may not understand why they have to wash their hands more than they used to or at all, why they can't see their families or take visits to the mall or walk outside. Caretaking under this pandemic means Tanya has become vigilant in staying connected to her clients and their health in a whole new way. And since she has the gift of what I'm naming detective caretaking, inspired by her, it was she who discovered her house had become infected with COVID-19. A lot of staff come in and out of the house. There's behavior specialists, nurses, other caretakers, When COVID hit, Tanya's aunt, who is a nurse, advised her to keep her eyes peeled for symptoms. She's like, always evaluate your clients. I know you guys have nurses there, but this is what I want you to look out for. And so she was telling me to look out for changes in them if you find them sniffling and sneezing. Tanya paid close attention and noticed that one of the people coming in to lead a workshop for the residents was sneezing. So she called up her management and alerted them. Shortly after that, she noticed the change in her house. And right after he left, I noticed that the clients, all of six of them, they were sleeping a lot. And this house became real quiet. And I got really concerned about that. Tanya was diligently taking temperatures and staying on top of symptoms. She was the first to notice one of the residents' temperature of 104 degrees. He and two others were taken to the ER. All three tested positive. Baker House was now a hot house. How we identify a hot house is simply if there is either a COVID positive resident uh, that has obviously the virus or an employee. This is George Hemberger, the SEIU Downstate Healthcare Coordinator. He is Tanya's union rep. A hot house, like a greenhouse, I think of a place where plants are nurtured by the containment of heat in glass to ensure a vibrant survival. Where vines crawl high, flowers bloom brightly, gigantic leaves unfurl with force. But in this context, its meaning is the opposite. Humans in grave, 
mortal danger. Hothouse nurtures illness and death, not life and color. Since we got the virus, one of the things that I wanted to do was sit, we would sit in a group and watch the news. breaking developments in the coronavirus emergency in the U.S. and around the world. The number of cases soaring just today. And I wanted the news to kind of explain and break down why we were explaining to them because some didn't understand why we were saying, you know, wash your hands, keep your hands clean, because at first they thought it was just us staff just saying it. So once they started watching the news with us, things started to shift. They, they saw the seriousness in it. In her house, the three who functioned at the lowest level were the ones who contracted the virus. But she said the most capable were the ones who would push back, not appreciating being told what to do. Tanya had a strategy for that as well. What I did was I took the garbage out the bathroom and put it over there by me so they would have to walk to the kitchen to get the paper towels, which is not far from the bathroom. But that was letting me know who was washing hands and who was not. <laughs> Strategic yet again, Tanya. <laughs> all this is to say, Tanya was working already doubly hard keeping her clients safe as both caretaker and detective with COVID in the house. It all had me wondering was she receiving overtime? Hazard pay? Was that difficult to get from the company? I asked George from SEIU. The company was paying out, you know, hazard pay for a while, and we're actually paying double time. Uh, when a house was, quote, hot. So when we talk about the company that Tanya worked for, they were actually proactive and really, you know, did what they could. They, I remember they were scrambling to try to get masks. We even tried to get them help with some masks. I think they made a decent effort. They offered uh, the hazard pay right away. I mean, they were out front. To be honest, we were pleasantly surprised. Uh, but this company that Tanya has been dealing with has been quite good at uh, getting them what they need. Progressive Housing Inc. runs Baker House and did respond quickly, providing hazard pay, also called pandemic pay. They were not as fast in getting her masks, proper covering, and even a high-functioning thermometer. They had this other one, but I didn't trust it. It was one of those little cheap thermometers. I wanted the one I had invested money into, so I brought that one in there. She brought her quality thermometer from home and ordered her own masks and coverings. Eventually, her company did supply her with N95 masks and proper PPE gear. Overall, Tanya really did feel like her company rallied behind her. The team effort to get everybody healthy again and to change their status from being a hothouse. I felt management was 100%. When I noticed one client wasn't washing his hands, I called the behavior animal. And I let the behavior analysts handle what they didn't do. It was all a team effort. One of the low-functioning guys, the one that, that had it, the one that we caught with the temperature, when we called the ambulance to transport him, he went into behavior mode and had a fit. At that point, I had nursing on one phone, my manager on another phone. We did a three-way with the BCBA. So it was like all four of us was putting our minds together to figure out how, how are we going to get him out? Because they had been watching the news, and they saw that when the client go in the ambulance that they were dying. And they didn't want to, they, they contribute going in the ambulance and leaving the premises that they weren't going to come back. The wildfire spreading of COVID-19 in group homes is not the only crisis particular to this population. 
Scott Landis, an associate professor of sociology at Syracuse University, just co-authored a study that found despite the higher contraction rates among people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, there has been limited reporting of COVID-19 trends for this population. Basically, there is a lot we don't know because learning about the rates on a larger scale for folks in group homes like Baker House has been seriously neglected. According to an NPR report, New York State Department of Health and Pennsylvania Department of Health's data tells us people who live in group homes with developmental disabilities are dying from COVID-19 at a rate higher than African-American and Latino populations. Yet, we still are not seeing the research needed that would prioritize keeping people safe. This means caretakers like Tanya are walking lifesavers, working under a cloak of invisibility. I'm Ariel Mejia, with Hope from the Frontlines. Thank you for joining Hope from the Frontlines. Our series is produced by Juneteenth Productions with funding support from the McCormick Foundation. Join us next week for another story of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. Do you have a story to share? Join us in the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page, Hope from the Frontlines.